Hi, everybody. My name is Vivian, and I am a grateful recovering alcoholic. And by God's grace, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Strong sponsorship. That means I have a sponsor who has a sponsor who has a sponsor. I talked to my sponsor this morning. I tell you on a regular basis I speak with my sponsor so that I can check my motives and check myself because I still have that disease of ism and it will never go away. I am never going to be cured or fixed. I'm going to get a lot better. I have a fatal progressive um, critical disease that wants me dead and wants me to hurt others on the path. And I will not succumb to that today because I'm here with you. And you carry the message. You, I came here, uh, first of all, I'm so grateful, Charlie, wherever you are, uh, for inviting me to be here today. And um, such an honor and a privilege to be asked. Uh, I was asked a lot to leave a lot of places. Um, <laughs> and I wasn't asked back either. And these were by fellow drunks, so, you know, it had to be pretty bad when they're turning on you. And um, But today I get to ask, I get to be asked to do certain things that are carrying a beautiful message versus a message of, of destruction and um, and disease. I'm so grateful to be here. I've had so much fun to be with my friends. Um, you know, this is the language of the heart, where the heart speaks and the heart listens. And um, and I'm so grateful that I get to be part of some very small particle of an immense and beautiful program that's in 175 countries in the world today. People are carrying the message everywhere. All we have to do is just come all the way in and please sit all the way down. Get yourself a sponsor and take this journey because it will save your life and the lives of others. And um, and I firmly believe, let me get all my, I have to get my mind over here. It's in this notebook. <laughs> Excuse me a minute. So the big book is our, is our, is our way of life. I firmly believe that if we take the directions as outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, all we have to do is, is adhere to the black print on the white page in this blue book, and our life will get immeasurably better. And I firmly believe, based on my experience, my strength and my hope that I have today as a result of doing this, coming all the way in, sitting all the way down, means picking up the tools of this program. And I have done that with every fervor of my being because I did not have a life before. Um, I want to thank the committee before I get too far into whatever, wherever I'm going because I never know where I'm going. Um, coming down here just a minute ago, I um, one more time took the wrong direction. I got all the way to the other end of the hotel and uh, not out of the way or out of the ordinary for me, directionally challenged. But... Um, so I got to the end of the hotel, and it says staff exit, and I went going, good idea. <laughs> and then um, God kicked in and said, not yet. So here I am. I want to thank Bob. Bob has been a friend of mine for many year, decades, and um, and I want to thank him for his his continued service 
to go around and carry the message of hope and recovery for alcoholics all over the world. I, I've met with Bob in many different places. The last time we were together, we sat in a boat in the middle of a restaurant, and we were asked to get out of there because it said <laughs> they now have a sign, Bob said, do not get in the boat. And uh, so that's the kind of stuff we do, you know. It's like there's a boat in the middle of this restaurant. We need to get in it. You know, we're not right. We're not all there, but we're all here, thank God. And we have a program that gives us good orderly directions. And today that direction for me is listening to God because I have found a power that I can do that with. And um, I got to hang with, listen to some amazing, all the speakers were just absolutely touched my heart in a way that I needed desperately because I come here to get filled up too. Um, you know, it's not that I get to deliver so much as I get to fill so much. Uh, every day I start to have that, you know, that, that, uh, that feeling of not feeling good enough or equal to, or people are better than, um, and I've carried that with me my whole life. And it has not left me, except I know that that's just not the truth today, because I am equal to. I have found a way of life that is infinitely better than anything I've ever known or done. And it's because I've just surrendered. When I was, when I finally got to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I was so desperately done. I would have done anything anybody asked me to do. But I'm going to tell you in my story a little about, um, I don't have my timer on, Marty. Would you help me out, please? <laughs> throw, throw something at me when we're done. <laughs> or if I get done before I think I'm done, please let me know that, too. Because um, that can happen. But anyway, um, you know, there's just so much I want to say to you. There's so many things I want to um, talk about today. And I, I was sitting out here with Marty. Um, the other day, and I said, God, after listening to all these amazing speakers, I have nothing. I mean, I couldn't even remember my own story, and I'm going, you know, and I was getting really kind of unnerved about that. And see, there's the lie I was telling myself. I have a story just like every one of you have a story. We don't get here without a good story. And uh, thank God I found my story here. You helped me to do that. I just love this program. I absolutely love Alcoholics Anonymous. I fell in love with you. Um, not when I first got here. I was a little sideways when I got here, as most of us can be or are. And, um, and I have a couple other little issues in my, in my story as well, but I'm a real alcoholic. If you want to know what that real alcoholic is, is what I drank for the effect. And when I start to drink, I can't determine how many I'm going to take or when I can stop or if I, when I want to stop that I can stay stopped. And there towards the end, I could not stop drinking. And I tried desperately to put that drink down, and every day I'd pick it right back up again. And that determines if you're a real alcoholic or not. Please, please find out. Because if you qualify for this program, there's a way out. I just buried two of my sponsees this past year. Because they went back out, and they just couldn't get back in. It's not that they could not. They would not. And the disease had them, you know, and we're losing people left and right. And I don't know why that is when we have such a perfect program that saves lives. And um, and it just killed me to watch that happen. 
and we lose people every day in this program. I don't know why why that is. I don't need to know why that is. I just need to know that if I'm in the room and I see a newcomer walk in that door, I'm going to go to that newcomer and put my hand out because my sponsor told me it's your job to be of maximum service to those that come in here and you put your hand out and greet them and welcome them home. And that's what people did to me in the very beginning. And uh, so I put my hand out, and I don't know, I innately know when I see a newcomer, they have that Bambi in the headlight look. <laughs> what the heck am I doing here and where am I? And believe me, let me just share with you, if you're here, you didn't come here by accident. I think it's be divine orchestration that we're all sitting in here today, and hopefully all of us are clean and sober. And... Um, and I celebrate January 3rd, 1994, is my clean and sober date by the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. My home group is the Sunday morning breakfast and speaker meeting, and I've been going to that meeting since January 3rd, 1991. And I love it. And we have the message will be heard there. And if you're ever in Hilton Head, South Carolina, please come join us. We would love to have you. We serve a full breakfast. Our requirements are if you want to come in and help cook in the morning. And we, I require all my sponsees to get in there and help in the morning. You don't even have to be sober. You just have to be upright and breathing. And we will put you to work. <laughs> and believe me, that's helped a lot of people. And um, most of them are still sober today, which is a blessing. And you get to see the, you get to see the, if you stick around here and you get involved, you get to see the lights come on. It is the most beautiful experience you do not want to miss. And, uh, I stay here because of that light. Because the language of the heart is where the heart speaks and the heart listens. And if I listen to you, as I have heard the message carried this weekend, and, um, and I'm forever grateful because I'm going back home filled up because of what I heard here. Oh, my Lord, I'm already crying. Um, and it's a good thing. These are tears of joy today that I get to participate in life like I never imagined. The only, the only dream I had was how, how could I get out of here? What could I do to, to leave the, how I felt? And I was desperate. I was just so desperate. I knew nothing about Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, no one in my family had preceded me into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yes, there were a lot that qualified for this program, and uh, I don't know why. You know, I was privileged to, to make it here and to stay here. I walked in the, in the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous on January 3rd, 1991, and when I crossed that threshold, I could not stop drinking. That day before, I could not not drink. I had reached that point where I had to have it. And I had, I had knew nothing about the obsession and the compulsion. I knew none of those things. I didn't even know what alcoholism was when I got here. But God's grace would put people in my life who preceded me into the rooms, and they said one day simply, I was ready to surrender and didn't even know it. And they said, do you want to go to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous? And do you know it was like just a few hundred yards out my front door from where I worked? <laughs> and I never knew that you were there all this time. And um, and thank God, and it's only by the grace of God that someone was put in my life that directed me into, because I had watched what happened to them. I had watched how the disease had taken them to the point where they were driving down 
uh, two-lane highway in the middle of uh, in the middle of the night and had a head-on collision with somebody and went through the windshield and almost died. And I had been drinking with this person that night and left and went home like midnight. But she didn't make it. She went to the hospital. She almost died. There were some women that knew about how she drank, and they went to see her. And what they did was they did a 12-step call on her, and she would go to a rehab. And I watched her dog for her. And I knew and loved Vicky. As a matter of fact, it's, Hilton Head was very small, 12 miles long, 5-mile-wide island. And so we kind of all knew each other. And back in the day when uh, something like that happened, we could just go right on up to the hospital. And I got to go up there and cut her hair because she had glass and blood all in her scalp, and I helped do that for her. And, um, and I didn't know anything about the program at all except these women came and got her, and she asked me if I'd watch her dog, and I said I would. And away she went for a couple months. And when she got back, she was a changed person. And um, she wanted to get a job in the area, but people knew her, and, and there was nothing available. So I told her she could come work in my salon, and she started doing nails. And every day, <laughs> I would go in and open it. She would get there before me because, obviously, I'm self-employed. I, I really would have been fired if I'd been anywhere else. <laughs> Because of my behavior, my work ethics were not impeccable, but they, but I showed up and, um, most of my customers were people that did just what I did, drank like I drank and did the things I did. And, um, and it was successful, believe it or not. And I had a home, a little home distribution business going on. And some of you can let your mind go with that. And, um, and I did fairly good with that for a little while. It was not Avon. And um, and then eventually I became my only customer, <laughs> so I gave up that way. It really wasn't profitable, so I let that go. These are the things we do, and we don't think there's with immunity. We don't think there's anything wrong with that, you know. And there was it was totally illegal what I was up to, but I didn't even care. Um, you know, that's just it. All ethics and morals and values are just cast aside to do precisely what I think I want to do that will fill that gaping hole in my soul. And that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking to fill that space that is dark and dreary and all I want to do when I get to that really bottom of that pile of whatever's in there, which is nothingness. I want to just die. And... um and what you've given me is a way of life. And so I went on about my business doing the things I was doing. I was still going to work. I watched Vicki get sober and start going to these meetings. And one day she said to me, Vivian, if you ever want to go to a meeting, you can go with me. And I said, Vicki, honey, that is fine for you. God knows you need it. And, you know, I just hadn't had any moment of clarity yet. <laughs> and, uh, and we drank just alike, you know, but for the grace of God, I didn't end up in that accident with her. And so anyway, um, I watched Vicki's life change right before me, day after day. And it's interesting, right around that time is when my drinking would take a turn. And it was easy enough for me to put down all the other substances. 
because I never really went seeking those things unless I was drinking anyway. So the drink would take me to wherever, and there were no no holds on where I went with it. And I ended up in sordid places, doing sordid things with people I shouldn't have been with. I remember one weekend being with a, uh, three or four Colombians who really didn't speak English very well, but we didn't really care. And, um, and I think we were having a good time, but after about three days, even they started to look bad. So I, and you know, we can laugh about that kind of stuff now. But a week later, those three guys were machine gunned down in Florida. And I could have so easily been right there with them. And there's a speaker that I just love, and his name is Norm Alpey, and he used to talk about inches and seconds. Inches and seconds, we just barely have this thing if we don't grab hold and hang on tight. And so many times I stood at the door, you know, of, of losing everything and everyone, and I practically did that before I got here anyway. But... um you know, things like that was a commonplace with me there towards the end because I didn't care anymore. All I wanted to do was not feel the way I felt and do the things that I was doing, and I didn't want to feel like, you know, I didn't want to feel that feeling anymore, that feeling of utter and complete failure and desperation, and I didn't understand what those things were. I didn't even know I suffered from that until I got here, and you told me the truth about me and what my problems were. And thank God for people like you that stayed here to carry the message, the message of hope and recovery, which is what we talk about. It works. It really does if you do the work. This program is not in our heads. It's in our feet. It's the footwork that does the deal for us. We've got to do the work to get the relief. And the relief is what we're looking for. And in finding that relief, we find a power greater than ourselves that can restore us to sanity. And in the first couple of paragraphs, it talks about being mental defective, that peculiar mental twist, and bodily and mentally different. If you don't get a clue by that sentence, (laughs) you qualify. You're not sitting in here because you are a poster child of mental health. I know I'm not. And i got to keep coming back and dipping into the power, dipping into the source. I need for you to tell me those things that I so easily forget. I have a built-in forgetter. We heard about that this weekend. And uh, that compulsion, that thought so powerful that it will override all logic. It's called powerlessness. I suffered from powerlessness. I did not have a power that could guide my life, and so I went with it. It about killed me. But before it did that, I took out a couple people with me. And so I was born in Columbia, South Carolina. And my mother was a single parent. And now recently, it's weird, I don't know why I'm bringing this up, as if it makes a difference right now, but I'm doing all this uh, ancestry research stuff, and I found out that I don't know who my daddy is. <laughs> I thought I knew who my daddy was. Now I'm going, what was my mom up to <laughs> anyway? <laughs> but someone recently asked me, are you resentful about that? And I went, I'm really not. I'm more curious about, well, who's my daddy? But it's not important to me that I have to know all these details. I was raised thinking one thing, and now it's another. You know, it's just not, how important is it? It's really just not. 
But it'll be interesting to, if it does find out because DNA uh, research now can tell you things that you could possibly never have known before. So it's kind of an interesting adventure and a journey to see what's really going on out there. And um, and I have two other siblings, and they both probably qualify for this program. But let me tell you, they're glad I'm here. And uh, I think everybody's glad I'm here. You know, it's uh, so I was born in Colombia, and I and I was uh, born with a stomach uh, disorder, and I was in and out of the hospital, mostly in the hospital for the first nine years of my life, and I um, I received the last rites three times before the age of nine, so I was trying to check out at an early age, and it just wasn't destined to be. I was put on some things like paragoric, which is uh, Opium and alcohol, I believe it is. Anyway, it, it'll put you out there. And then, and then over the course of time, I'm I'm giving more increase. That's all they knew back then, so they were giving me increased dosages of that to to deal with my. And I was in severe agony and pain, and I would pass out a lot, and I was in the hospital a lot, and I would wake up and. And the last time I was there, I was receiving the last rites. The priest was there. My family was around the bed. I came to for a moment, and I saw that uh, I just saw these people. I just remember seeing their faces around the bed, and um, and they were saying the Our Father. And here we are. We say the Our Father every meeting. It's just so important to me. And um, and I would wake up from that, and I look back. Look back at your, at your life and see the evidence of God because it's there. And that moment, a miracle happened, and I did not die that day. I came home, and I had some convalescing to do, of course, and I've always suffered a little bit with some stomach issues, but nothing like then. So there was the first big, real miracle in my life. I couldn't see it then, but I can clearly see it now. And I would go on to have the last rites one more time before I came to you. And so, you know, we live our life on life's terms. But I would be raised in uh, Columbia. I missed the first grade entirely because I was so sick. Uh, so I had to, you know, I was always uh, a year behind. And so I um, was in parochial school. And when you're raised Catholic, it's very interesting because... You're supposed to adhere to all these, you know, and so I'm hearing things that I'm really very guilty of because now I know that I suffer from um, venial sin, mortal sin, original sin, but it's all in Latin, so I'm not really sure what that means except that I'm, I'm going to hell, <laughs> probably. And so... You know, and you just, it's really hard on a little kid to kind of expect that they know these things. So I began to have this fearful God in my life. And, um, and you know, it sort of made back away from the burning bus about this. Because, you know, and I, I love what Sandy Beach used to say. He said when he was a little boy, he's sitting in church and he saw Jesus Christ nailed to the cross. He said, well, if his, if God's father would do that to him, what might they do to me? And I could identify with that, you know. So I was just guilty from early on. And I remember going to confession 
And uh, I have to make stuff up because you got to do this. It's, it's a requirement. You're going to confession. How many times can you admit something, you know? So I started getting real creative and coming up with stuff. And uh, so the lie started right there. And I look back on it and I laugh. It's like, what do they expect little kids to be get that guilty of anyway? So they sort of... They're, they're planting the seed of guilt and shame from the very beginning, you know. And, um, and thank God I don't have to live like that today. But I would go on to, um, uh, you know, move on into school and I, and I, I was gifted. I'm, I'm attention deficit disorders if you haven't noticed. But anyway, I only had that diagnosed a few years ago. And, um, so, uh, you know, paying attention, it was constantly on my report. Vivian would just pay attention, and I was going, if you would say something really interesting, I would love to, you know. But I'm, I'm with you for a few minutes, and I'm out of there, you know. But so that was my life, and still is today, but I refused to take medication for it. You know, they put me on medication in the very beginning, the first diagnosis I had a couple years ago because they said it would help me, and they put me on something called Adderall. Oh, my Lord. And so I had to go to the doctor and get a prescription every month. It was 300 bucks, and... Um, and I did. I moved to the number one sales position in my company because for the first time I could hold a thought. And I could, I was good. But I felt like I was going to have a coronary <laughs> from taking this drug. And it helped my mind, but it was, I, th- I felt like I was going to have a heart attack. And I said, I do not want to be a clear thinking corpse. I'm over it. I'm not doing this anymore. And so I was able to put that down. Pills were not my thing. Drugs were, you know, they were take it or leave it. Alcohol was my primary um, thing. And so I would move on through school. In high school, um, we were encouraged back then to get married that, or go to school. I really wanted to go to school, but there was this amazing man. who uh, He had a horse. That was real important to me. <laughs> and I became friends with this horse, so I married him. And uh, <laughs> and I love that horse. And, uh, <laughs> and I've always loved horses, and I've, it's, horses have been a part of my life ever since. But, um, you know, it's really interesting. I look back on that, and that poor man, un- unsuspecting of my alcoholism, knew nothing about who I was. And I knew nothing about how to be married and how to have a life with another man and how to share, you know, love and life and support and nurture and nourishing, and I knew none of that. I was running scared. I was literally fleeing for my life in my own skin right in the middle of the room. And... um that poor man, you know, did everything he could do. He was 14 years older than me. And, um, you know, I think, I think that we just take hostage. You know, I didn't know any better, didn't know any different. It was just the right thing to do at the right time. I didn't have another plan. Uh, I look back on it and the, and the amazing thing that came out of that were two beautiful children. Uh, I have a son who now lives in Oregon and he was, 
in and out of problems. I used to go pick him up. Here. He, it, you know it's really bad when, when their drug dealers call you and say, come get your kid. And um, we're in serious trouble here now. So that happened a number of times. So I would go pick up my son and bring him down to Hilton Head, dust him off, get a new pair of jeans, throw him into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. He would get so good so fast and so right and be on track for about a minute. And then you would go back to Columbia and, and yet again, another six months or a year or whatever. And um, so he moved down to Hilton Head, where I live, and uh, had to move in with me because he was homeless one more time. It's interesting. He was homeless and in the streets, but he had a cell phone, and he kept that current. You know, you just have to go, <laughs> I think you. So anyway, God bless him. You know, one thing I do is I create little alcoholics for sure. And so he moved to Oregon, got married um, for the second time, and found this woman that just adores him. He's living out there now, and he's got an amazing job. He's doing, I guess, pretty well. We're kind of estranged at this moment. He's um, a pot grower, and he said it's legal, and he's back to drinking again, and I just have to pray for him. Because that's what my sponsor says I have to do. And um, instead of lecturing and telling him or reminding him about the horrors of his past, I get to just pray for him. And um, Katie and Marty were at a, a women's retreat that I hold. And, um, and the affirmative prayers become a part of my life for my son is where I pray for him to have everything that is beautiful and wonderful and loving in his life that he needs to have rather than I want to throat punch him every five minutes because he's not going to do what I'm doing. He doesn't want to hear what I have to say. To drive him away from me is for me to keep harping on him what he ought to do, and that's not my job. I've been told that he's one of God's kids. And I've got to let God, give him to God, and that's what I do. And so right now, and then my grandson, his son, is uh, Dakota, is uh, getting out of prison uh, in May. And um, and I've, I've told him and written letters about my program and what I've done and how it's affected me. And, yes, it had everything to do with drugs and, and a lot of anger. A lot of anger. And we all know that anger is fear. You know, and so uh, if he finds his way here, great. And if not, again, I'll put him in that affirmative prayer where I hold both of them. And uh, so I get to carry the message, and I sponsor my behind off. Uh, and believe me, if you're walking in the rooms you don't know any better, I'm going to be on you like white on rice. I have been taught that when you have an opportunity to sponsor somebody, you go up and you ask them, and this is my standard question, welcome. Are you new? Are you nearly new? Are you just coming back? And do you have a sponsor? And they'll tell you (laughs) everything right there. And if they don't have a sponsor, I say, welcome, I'm your new sponsor. And I've picked up a whole bunch of people doing that because they don't know any better and they don't know they have a choice. It has helped me so much. 
it's through sponsorship that I get to stay here and have a life that I just never dreamed of. And so I carry that message to those guys and, and most of them that stick here. Now I just want to remind you, not all, not every, Bill Wilson sponsored a hundred people before he got one. I think it took six months before he got one that stuck with him. So you never know. But as long as I'm actively seeking and trying to carry this message, which is my primary function today, then all's going to be well for me and hopefully for them too. And, uh, I tell you what's this constant source of entertainment for me. <laughs> Some of these young ones, what they come up with, of course. Uh, this morning I got a little message from a gal I'm sponsoring. She's, uh, coming up on 11 months out of jail. <clears throat> and she's now, she's supposed to send me a gratitude every morning of at least five or more things that she's grateful for. I want them to see that there are things to be grateful for when you can't see anything but dark and dreary and, and a life worth not living for. We have to start working towards a life worth living for. So we point these things out. And so she sent, uh, so I didn't get that message today. And I require that we do that. <clears throat> but however, when I did go on Facebook, there was a list about this long of all the things that, you know, it was a long dissertation about all the things that are so amazing for her. And I said, uh, you know, you're supposed to send me five things you're grateful for, but we don't need to be putting that on Facebook. I want you off of Facebook and start sending those things to me on a regular basis. And uh, I get to laugh about that. This is, like I said, it's a, so- a constant source of entertainment. So anyway, so I'm, um, I married this, this man. He is treating me like a princess. Um, how are we doing for time, Marty? I don't even know where we are. Okay. I better wrap this. I better get, get sober. So anyway, um, I'm living in Columbia. My mother encourages me to get married. She wanted to cull the herd. Get out, get married, and get on with your life. And I'm sure she was delighted for me to go. And this man, believe me, was amazing. He took such good care of me. Um, I mean, he just he just took care of me, and I love that. Um, but you know, I'm a budding alcoholic. I don't know what's wrong with me, but nothing you can do or say is going to make me happy enough. There's never enough in my life. Everything looks very dark and dreary and and uh, just never feel equal to and lesser than i just have that constant mentality happening in my life and it's filtering out into my world so at some point we decide that um we need to have a baby that's going to fix everything and you know how that goes and um so i finally after two years have this amazing baby Todd, Anthony, and um, and we get about the business of doing that, and I am flipping out every two seconds. I don't know what to do with this baby. I don't know how to handle it. I'm not dealing with this very well. I'm doing the things I should be doing, but emotionally, I am losing it every second, and I don't know how to do this parenting thing. Not only that, I don't. Ha- I don't know how to do relationship. And so I'm suffering because I'm doing, I'm just kind of falling into all this. And, um, and so for the first, you know, couple of years there, it was, 
touch and go. My mom was available so that she would help out and uh, my son had a little bit of a foot problem and we worked, we did, we dealt with that. And, uh, two years later, uh, here, I wanted to have another baby because, you know, that'll fix everything, make me feel better. We'll be more, the family unit will come together. And I had this beautiful daughter. Her name is Katina Teresa. And, um, and that was just like the only thing I ever wanted more than life itself. And we went about the business, but yet, you know, on the weekends, I'm beginning to really want to drink more and more. And I don't know about being out of control. I know nothing about the disease of alcoholism. And yet every weekend, I cannot wait to get wasted. So that's happening on a regular basis. And at some point, I made a decision based on self that would take me out of the house I started hanging with people that were doing other things other than alcohol. And it just seemed like the right natural thing to do. And I couldn't stop myself any more than anything else. I mean, I went down that road and I started hanging with people that were definitely people you don't want to be with. But I was doing things I shouldn't have been doing and ended up places I shouldn't have been. And... Um, and I knew that I could not stay in that marriage and be a mom and stay in that home and do those kinds of things I was doing. And one day, as easy as it was for me to get up this morning and brush my teeth, I made a decision to walk out on my family, and I abandoned those kids. And I walked right out that door, and I never stopped drinking until I came to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And yet, I wish... If I could change anything, it would be the best mom I could possibly be to love those kids like no other, to nurture them and nourish them and hold them and love them and tell them how much they mattered to me. And yet I was incapable of doing that. The only solution for me was to walk away. And that's what I did. I walked out on those kids. And believe me, not being there is as damaging and abusing to them emotionally as any physical pain you can imagine. And I see the damage in my son today. He's never been able to deal with any part of that. And hopefully one day he will get into the program or, or not. But that'll be, you know, I love what Polly says. My grand sponsor says, my kids' problems may have my name on them, but all of their solutions have their name on them. Thank God for that. And yes, I did cause a lot of heartache and a lot of problems. But today I have a solution in my life and I get to carry that message. And I'm so grateful that I'm able to do that one day at a time. And I can tell you that um, it would be a little while before uh, there was an opportunity to come down from Columbia to Hilton Head is about three hours. And I had an opportunity to go down and visit with some friends. And um, so I didn't even get there. I actually decided I would go, and this is how our magnifying mind works. So I, I go get a U-Haul it truck because I'm not just going to go visit. I'm going to go stay. So I'm doing a geographic. I know what that is now. So I go down to rent a U-Haul it. And, uh, and you know, you can't just rent a small little trailer. You gotta have, 
you know, so I'm looking at the various sizes available, and there's, you know, the small size, and then it goes up, and then it keeps going up, and there's a big one. I said, that'll work, so I'll take that one, and they throw up the back, and in the back of that thing is a hobo that's been sleeping up in there for God knows how long. And I said, I'll take him too. And so (laughs) we get in the car. I don't know his name to this day. But he helped me pack all my crap in there, and he and I hit the road. (laughs) That's the kind of crazy stuff we do. And so we get down there, and we do what we do to make this road trip fun. I don't remember a whole lot of it, but we got there, and um, and I don't know where he went. He sort of he appeared, and we got in the truck, and he disappeared. And I, to this day, I don't know who it was. And it's thank God, you know, it wasn't some serial killer or something. I think God's just trying overtime to help save our lives till we get here. So I get down there, and then I. I opened a little business and I had a salon and, um, and you know, and it was successful. I was able to, I was able to show up for it. I'm a functioning alcoholic. I don't know how much longer that would have lasted, but it lasted long enough. And, um, and so, you know, uh, and I can tell you what happened with my kids, you know, the abandonment, um, eventually the shame and the guilt starts to, to resonate with you, and I start to suffer from a depression around that. So drinking became more of a of a, a daily thing to handle. With the fact that I walked out on that on those kids, I left them, I abandoned them, and I tried to show up. I really did. I tried to show up for their birthdays. I tried to show up for holidays. I couldn't do it. There towards the end, I would go to the mall to buy presents. I had every ounce of me wanted to be that mom that they deserved, and I couldn't do it. I'd go to the mall to get them, you know, Christmas presents, and a day later, you know, or two days later, I'd come to and realize I never even made it there. And finally, the shame and the guilt and the remorse was so deep, I couldn't even look them in the eyes anymore because their little eyes would look at me and go, Mom, what are you doing? Why aren't you here anymore? You know, what are you doing? And I couldn't answer those those deep questions about what was I doing. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just full on into my alcoholism, running amok. And I moved to Hilton Head and started a life down there met up with people of my type, started doing things and dealing and all that kind of stuff. By the time I got to you, um, because my little Vicky, who had the head-on collision, was now in my salon, and she um, she would bring the message. She was. I think every one of us has an angel of mercy that comes into our lives and brings us the the message of hope and recovery, and she was that for me. She was my angel. And she said, do you want to go to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous? And I, li- and I literally said to her, well, honey, I know you need that, but I don't think that I need to go. But, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know until I did. And towards the end of my drinking, I had put everything else down. Nothing, I, I didn't want anything. The obsession and the compulsion of the drink was so strong for me that that's all I could do anymore. 
I was drinking round the clock. And I would get up in the morning, finally come to and say, I am not going to drink today. And by 2 or 3 o'clock, I'd be off to the races again. I couldn't quit. I couldn't put it down. And one night... And I don't know about you, I've heard people say, well, they would get up at that point in time, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, go get another drink. It makes perfect logical sense. I didn't have that kind of thing going on. And so I would lay there in absolute insanity and see my life flashing before me. And at one point, the night before I decided to come to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, I laid there in utter and complete depression and insanity and I saw my life flash before me and a voice just said you're going to lose everything you got basically it was like a big panoramic screen in my life and at two or three o'clock in the morning I'm witnessing this and I'm going dear God please help me and there was my prayer and the next day I asked Vicki if I could go to a meeting with her I don't know where that thought came from, but that's how I got here. And I walked into the meeting with Vicki on one side, and she was only a couple months sober. She didn't know what was going on herself. You know, it takes a little while for the fog to lift. But she knew enough to carry me to the meeting. And a friend of mine was in the rooms, and um, I love this guy. His name is Miles. And um, he said, Vivian, we've been saving you a chair for a long time. Welcome home. And he said, uh, there's good news and there's bad news. He said, which do you want first? And I said, I don't care. He said, the good news is you're an alcoholic. He knew how I drank. He knew me well. And he said, uh, the bad news is we're your help. (laughs) I went, oh, my God. I know these people, and this is going to be scary. (laughs) But I had reached such an utter and complete point of desperation. I didn't have any more plans. I didn't have any questions. I didn't have any answers. I just didn't want to live another minute, and I didn't have the guts to die. Because, believe me, I had tried it before. I'm one of those people that will slit their wrist and end up in the emergency room, and they look down on people like us that do things like that. I um, I used to carry a gun everywhere I went. As a matter of fact, I had a gun at my first meeting. I don't know why I thought I needed a gun in here, but <laughs> but a three fifty seven Magnum is a heavy pistol, and um, you know. <laughs> so my first meeting, um, it's a, it's in a church, and there's a big cross up there, and and you know the, they set up the chairs for the meeting, and and so um, <clears throat> I walk in and I sit down and I put my I actually have a fanny pack, but it's a holster, so my gun's in there. So I I unstrap that thing and put it up under the seat, and I sit there for the meeting, and then I get up and I see a lot of my friends in there <laughs> that I haven't seen in a while, and they're sober, and so. Um, so everybody, you know, takes their chair and puts, folds it up, puts it away. You know, we get responsible in here. We start doing the next right thing, or supposed to anyway, or help, do something. And so 
I'm talking to a, a couple friends of mine, and I realize that nobody, so I'm, by the time I say goodbye and I go to get, my chair is the only chair left in there, and underneath is my purse, and somehow my gun had slid out onto the floor. <laughs> I think they were just afraid to address this whole issue. I can't say as I blame them. And uh, so I eventually uh, replaced that with a 38 because it's a lot lighter and smaller. <laughs> that was my solution. You know, you got to do what the girl's got to do what a girl's got to do. And, uh, and I mean, I used to carry that thing to the grocery store. I don't know what I thought. I don't know if I thought I was going to have to have a shootout in the produce section, but I was going to be ready. And I'm good. I'm very good at what I do. And uh, that was my power. That was my higher power forever. And, um, you know, there, that's just part of the insanity I wanted to share with you. But um, those things um, didn't make me an alcoholic. My family didn't make me an alcoholic. I'm bodily and mentally different from my fellows. I cannot drink with impunity. I have, I, I have a, a, a chromosomal difference that when I process alcohol, it reacts differently in my brain than it does in other people. So when I drink, I have something called a disease of perception going on that tells me I don't really have any problems. And everything around me is falling apart miserably. And yet, uh, if you want to know a little more about that, please stop by Bob's table and pick up a copy of Clancy I, Alcoholism, a Disease of Perception. When I heard that tape, and that's been 20-plus years ago, I, it was a game-changer for me. I could identify totally with what he was talking about there because I thought like he thought. I felt like he felt, and I did the things that he was talking about. And I could finally identify and stop comparing my drinking or my whatever to anybody else's. And I'm so grateful that people like Bob Clark will go out here and carry all those tapes so that people like us can take them home and continue to hear the message. I don't know about you. I can hear a message, but i got to hear it again and again and again. That's why you can't just do the steps one and done. It doesn't work like that. you got to keep doing it. I stay in 10, 11, and 12 today, which is all the steps invited into 10, 11, and 12 so I can get honest and stay right-sized. And by God's grace, I've been able to do that without picking up another substance. However, I came in in 91, walked across the threshold. The obsession to drink was removed. But not one person offered to be my sponsor and not one person recommended that I do anything. And I think that's why we're losing people. Don't be afraid to walk up and grab somebody and say, come on, let's do this, please. Our lives hinge on being saved here. We co- this is the last-ditch effort for people like us. And so for four or five months, I'm in the rooms, I'm attending meetings, I'm stone-cold sober and stark raving crazy, and I'm returning to that place of in complete and utter insanity. And... What happened was a friend of mine that came in <clears throat> who was an in, in and out, in and out, she came up to me and she picked up the big book and she said, Vivian, this book doesn't say a single thing about marijuana. And what do I know? I haven't read the book. so I. 
people like me steal the book. I stole several of them, as a matter of fact. They told me to get all this stuff, so I went in the back of the room, I gathered up everything, and then I asked somebody for a box because it was a lot of stuff. (laughs) I don't think anything about it. I take that stuff home. Do I read it? No. So after about two and a half, four months, somewhere in there, I don't know, dope is dope. We get dopey. We don't remember stuff. So I'm back to smoking pot, sitting in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I I was accustomed to sitting up front. And then I started moving slowly back to the back middle of the room. And before you know it, I'm sitting in the back of the room, and I'm wearing these rose-colored glasses. I don't think anybody knows what I'm doing. We know everything. Listen, I can smell that stuff a mile away. I mean, alcohol can permeate through these walls. I can smell it. <laughs> I love it. Um, you can't BS the BSer. So anyway, where was I? Um, I'm sitting in the back of the room, and I'm like one step away from going back out again. And for me to drink is to die, because I was near dead when I got here. And for two and a half years, that's what I did. I sat in the back of the room with untreated alcoholism. And in the middle of the room, in the middle of the day one time at a meeting, I wanted to kill myself. And I had planned to either take my own life or go drink. And that, my friend, is untreated alcoholism. And please, dear God, don't do it. It's not worth it. Get up with somebody and start working this program. It will save your life. I don't need anything to alter how I think or feel from the neck up anymore. I don't need a drug that will fix my problems as far as my attitudes and my behaviors. I've got a program that tells me precisely what to do for that. I have a sponsor that will tell me exactly what I need to do, and oftentimes not what I want to hear. But she will tell me the truth. I'm so grateful for that. And so I get to do these things, and today, um, so I celebrate 1994 as my clean and sober date, and I am so grateful for that. I haven't found it necessary to pick up another drug and don't want another thing. I just want you. I want to be right in the middle of the room, right in the middle of this program. I want to come all the way in and sit all the way down, and I want to do what this book says, the blue book, the black print on the white page, because it will save your life. And um, so the disease centers in our mind, and I have to work on that daily. Uh, I have to get checked in with other people, um, you know, and I have I still have some problems in my life, nothing. I have all my needs are met. My wants are way out of control, <laughs> so I have to work on that. And... Um, I have to work the steps, not have to. I want to work these steps in my life on a daily basis because it makes my life tolerable. It helps me to love you versus criticize or judge you. I spent my whole life judging and rationalizing and denying everything going on in my life and in yours. And I think I have that kind of power. I do not. But the book will define all that stuff for us if we would just participate in our recovery. Come on in and try it. Man, it is better than anything you can do for yourself, I'm telling you. So as a part of doing my um, 
step work, I uh, finally hooked up with a sponsor. When I hit my knees in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, here's the evidence of God showing. If we show up in here, all kinds of things are going to happen for you, whether you understand it or not. And if you don't understand it, it's even better. And so God would put in my life my sponsor. Uh, I was told by an old-timer to host to somebody. Now, you got to remember, I'm not working them with a full deck up here. Uh, we get here, and we're kind of really damaged goods, and uh, and I'm okay with that today because I have a plan of action around my behavior. And so I was told by this old-timer to go hostess this woman. She was coming to speak in Hilton Head, and I said, sure. But there were no directions behind that, so I didn't do anything. I didn't show up. It was a conference like this, and I didn't go. I wasn't there. <laughs> I met her at the last day, and I said, hi, I'm your, I'm your hostess. She said, really? <laughs> I didn't know I was supposed to do anything. you got to be real specific with people like us. So I, um, she grabbed me, literally, and said, let's talk. And she took me over and in no uncertain words said, do you have a sponsor? (laughs) How do they know to ask these specific questions so early on? I said, no, I don't. And so she said, well, I'm it. And that was it. And so um, she said, call me. She gave me a couple of cards. She said, my numbers. Now, she lived several hours away. And, uh, you know, a couple days went by and I'm having this burning, itching, feverish thought that I should probably call her, but she lives so far away, she's not going to really do, you know, and I'm starting to get into all this doubt and what, you know, I'm getting into myself. I'm about to talk myself right out of all this, but God would have another plan. I called her up and she said, yes, I want you to get yourself right on up here. So three hours away, I'm showing up at her door and we work the steps. Oh, my Lord, my life changed that day. I was told uh, when I first started on the step journey was to go home, say that third step prayer before I engage in the step work. Ask God to please deliver to me everything that needs to be revealed on this list. Get still and get quiet and start writing. And for the first time, I could take direction, and that's exactly what I did. And... um, Within 20 minutes, I had over 100 names on my list. And I was like automatic writing. I was going, thought about that person in the first grade. Good Lord. So I'm writing, writing, writing. I finally call my sponsor. I said, I can't believe all these people on this list. And and, um, that's okay. I had 1,500 names on my list. I said, I'm glad I'm not as sick as you are. (laughs) Comparing. And... um, Thank God that there's that uh, sponsor uh, tolerance, you know, where they just love you until you can learn to love yourself. So I began the journey of doing the writing and, um, and thinking, I was told thinking was not required anymore. There's not a chapter in the book that says into thinking, please don't. <laughs> and I really was out of questions. I was really out of answers. I really had no other plan, so I just did it. And through that process, things were revealed to me that I had no idea about the truth of who I am and what what I did. 
And I can tell you about when I took my fifth step up to Augusta, I got in the car and I told her how fearful I was on the way up. And she said, by taking those actions, you're actually exercising faith. And if you exercise faith, you will walk through the fear. And these are the things I heard that changed my life. So I got up there and we got busy. She said, get your fifth step out. And I began to read to her everything that was on that list. And at the top of the list was my daughter's name. You see, on one of the rare occasions that I could show up for my daughter and my son, it was the last time I could do that. I picked her up and we went up to the lake and I wanted to have a special time with her, but I couldn't even do that. I couldn't, I picked her up and we went up there and on the way back, as a direct result of my alcoholism, we had a car accident. My daughter died in that accident. And so did I actually, and we were in the hospital. And I remember being in the operating room And there was, I was looking down at my body and there were a team of people around me and I was up in the corner looking down and um, it's like my daughter and I were sitting on a cloud. And we weren't talking in words like I'm speaking now, but we were talking in a communicating way that I understood what she said and she said, Mom, you can't stay here. And immediately I was right back in my body and I... I did not want to come back. And I would be in the hospital for, the car turned over on top of me, so everything from the waist up was broken. I was in the hospital a better part of a year recuperating, and I'm a miracle walking today, I want to tell you. I would be brought up on manslaughter charges. I faced and dealt with all of that when I could actually show up for that. My husband, to this day, cannot forgive me for that, nor should he. That's his journey. I've made amends to him as best I can. You can't undo what's been done, but you can make a better way today if you can just help others to hopefully avert misery and death for others by showing them through what we have done to carry a message of hope and recovery because I did not have to as the minute I did my step work with Michael, I have not found it necessary to take a drink or a drug over any of that. But yet I get to go out and tell you about these things. And hopefully, maybe you might remember not to take that drink or that drug and put your kids in the car. And I've had people call me from all over the country and tell me that they, they were in a situation like that and they remembered this story. And I'm so grateful that I get the opportunity to say my story because that this is what happened to me as a direct result of my alcoholism. It takes, it is the rapacious creditor and takes from us everything precious and beautiful. It steals from us our hopes, our dreams, our ambitions, our goals. It will leave you exempt and dead with nothing and take all those that you love away from you. Please come in.
and work this program with the sponsor. Get busy. I would uh, get up with Michael 18 years after my daughter died. I did not draw a sober breath from that moment on. I drank with a vengeance to die. And I couldn't drink enough to die, and I didn't have the guts to take my own life. I look back on that now as that God had another plan. So Michael says, you know, and I had lived in such a a gray area around this. It never occurred to me. I looked at it as the accident. I never looked at the fact that I caused the accident. And I took that responsibility on that day, and she said, we will go. And thank God for good orderly direction, because she said, we will go to the grave and we will make an amends. And I didn't know how we were going to do that. And she said, we'll go to the grave and we'll read a letter. So I went to the grave and I carried this letter, but since I'd never been there, I didn't know where it was. It took us about an hour to find her little plaque. And um, she said, all you have to do is read your letter. And um, I got my letter out, and we're standing there. I had brought some flowers and some things I thought were important to have communion with my daughter for the first time. And um, I started to read this letter, and, you know, and some amazing things happened. I want to share with you real quick. I think that we are all on a spiritual journey here. I really do. I had been seeking something my whole life. And so I started following Native American spiritual concepts and beliefs, and I studied with shamans, and it made such a difference in my life. Eventually, I would go out and start looking into the Eastern philosophies, and I started studying Buddhism, and I ended up with Hinduism because they embrace Jesus and a Christian uh, philosophy, and um, and I have since been practicing that. And what I have come to understand, that there are many paths, but one truth. And I have a higher power today that directs my life. And I'm so grateful for all those journeys, but because they've given me the opportunity to embrace everything and not just be stuck on one. I could never be stuck anywhere for long anyway, but... So anyway, so I got to the grave, and I'm reading the letter. And the minute I start reading the letter, and I want to tell you, uh, it was about 105 degrees. It was so hot this day that we were sweating bullets. And my sponsor is sitting here, and I mean, standing here with me, and I'm reading this letter. And the letter is just simply uh, a simple letter about... Um, I just want to read it to you because I think it's important that we know how to do this. And it's a short, short little note, but it said, Dearest Tina, I'm so proud to tell you, but you probably already know that I've been sober in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous for four years. I'm sorry that it took me so long to take these actions, but I want to make amends for being and absent, undependable, unreliable. Mom, 
I am responsible for your death, and I truly love you very much. And I'll always love you, and I'm truly so sorry. I promise I will use this tragedy and this experience to help other alcoholics who hopefully will prevent other tragedies like this from happening. I embrace you, and I love you, Mom. And as I begin to read that letter, there was a wind that started to engulf us. And I swear to you, my hair was standing straight back as my sponsors was, and we stood there, and I grabbed her, and I said, I don't know what's happening. But but I felt the presence of God, and right above me was an eagle circling, which means the, the personal power is returning. In other words, that was God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. And I um, finished reading that letter, and my sponsor would go back to the car, and I sat there for a few minutes because I wanted to have communion with my daughter, and I just felt this new presence in my life. And so I sat there for a little while, quiet, and I sat on the ground, And a voice, my little daughter's voice, said to me, Mom, you have a life. Now go on out there and live it, because I do. And I didn't know what that meant, and I didn't know what to say about all that for the ever, but I do know what that means today. It's carrying this message. And... um A little later, a ladybug landed on my skirt, and um, she simply said one more thing to me was, Mom, that's my favorite little creature. And so I wear a ladybug today. I always have a ladybug on me somewhere. It's here. And it's here. (laughs) It's everywhere. But I started a women's retreat called Ladybug Retreat in her memory. And uh, every second weekend in November... We gather, <clears throat> and I do have flyers on Bob's table, actually, for the Ladybug Retreat. And all you women, please come. We would love to have you and welcome you into the fold. Uh, we're, we're growing. We're having um, a lot of women come there because they've had problems with kids and stuff. And, and um, I have people calling me from all over the, the world sometimes, you know, about similar situations and how do you live with it and how do you get through it and I'm able to share my message with them and uh, I had a guy call me who had just gotten out of prison in a blackout he shook his 18 month old baby to death and he didn't think he could handle it so I shared my story with him and he's still sober today he's working a program helping others that's our key that's our answer I have a poem that I want to read, and then I have one more thing I'm going to read, and then I'm going to close. A friend of mine called me. She was looking for someone else just like her because her daughter died in a car accident with her. And um, she wanted someone to who could understand where she is. And so she wrote this poem in memory of her daughter and mine. There's a little nine-year-old girl up in the sky. She holds my baby between her legs on a swing of silver lace clouds. Her arms clasped around her waist so she won't slip 
My baby's downy hair tickles her nose, but she keeps on singing sweet lullabies and tells her stories of ladybugs and fireflies. She tells her what it's like to go to school, something my baby never got to do. She tells her she wasn't sure if Santa Claus was real. My baby seems to know what she means as she giggles and squeals, and then she spoke of her mother with the warmest sound. And the baby of mine, she looked around, and their eyes met, and they both knew the same disease had brought them there. An illness so ugly it didn't care that their mothers loved them so dearly and would have died in their place. How they wished and prayed to see their faces just one more time. To smell their smell. To let them know that now they were well. The disease had retreated after quite a fight. One day at a time they win this war. The little girl whispered into my baby's ears as they swung even higher into the clouds. I know our mothers didn't want it this way. I hope they know we have each other and that it's okay. And I can tell you, the hardest thing I've ever done was to do this step work with Michael and have her tell me that I was responsible for my daughter's death because up until then I had been in such denial. But I can own it today. I can own my truth, and I know today that God's got all of this. How did I get there from here or from there to here? Uh, The 12 steps, a daily reprieve contingent upon my spiritual condition. I start each day with the third and seventh step prayer. I talk to sponsees. I talk to my sponsor. I work this program diligently and with purpose. I don't fool around with a deadly, fatal, progressive disease that wants me dead. I'm not doing it. And if I'm working with you, you're not doing it. (laughs) Believe me, it's not easy but it can be done, and you the rewards are on the other side of doing all this. Um, I want to read one more thing that's very important to me, and I read it every time I share. There's a pamphlet called A Member's Eye View, and I love it. Conference approved, by the way. <laughs> Just so you know that... Uh, Today I try to live by something very simply is what I'm about to do or say is it emotionally driven or spiritually guided. If I'm faced with any situation that I'm not sure about, it's something I probably shouldn't be doing or probably should run by my sponsor. We have those tools in place for a reason. Just use them. You won't regret it. I was simply dying by the way I was living and living the way I was dying. And one day at a time, I haven't had to live like that since I've been here with you because you have carried me. This coming Sunday, in the churches of many of us, there will be read the portion of the Gospel of Matthew, which recounts the time when John the Baptist was languishing in the prison of Herod. And hearing the works of his cousin Jesus, he sent two of his disciples to say to him, Art thou he who has come? Or shall we look for another? And Christ did as he also often did. He did not answer them directly, but wanted John to decide for himself. 
And so he said to the disciples, go and report to John what you have heard and what you have seen. The blind see, the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, and the dead rise. The poor have the gospel preached to them. I can tell you only what I have seen and heard here in Alcoholics Anonymous. The blind do see. The lame do walk. The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead rise. Every day, right here in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Over and over again. In the middle of the longest day and the darkest night, the poor in spirit have the good news told to them. Today I'm uniquely qualified and usefully whole, and I'm grateful that I can carry this message of hope and recovery. I hope you'll come along and stay here with us. God bless.